Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. A theory of human migration based on an examination of the Y chromosome carried by males tells us that people crossed the landmass that once connected Siberia to Alaska. Some of these people continued walking south and many generations later settled on the western edge of the Amazon basin in South America in what is now eastern Peru. One of these groups is called Shipibo. Prior to 1950, the Shipibo had no written language. At that time, Christian missionaries created a written standard to translate their Bible. Manenima Ilario was born Shipibo into his tribe which lived in the traditional Stone Age fashion in the Peruvian jungle. He lived there until he was 11 years old. At age 11, he went to the secondary school in the Hispanic Amazon town of Pucallpa, Peru. Later, from Lima, Peru, he found his way to Taylor, Texas, and then on to Sonoma State University in Northern California, where he graduated in June of 1997. In this interview, originally broadcast in January of 1997, I spoke with Menenima Ilario in his home in Petaluma, California, when he was 26 years old, and asked him what his life was like as a child in the jungles of eastern Peru. Since that interview, Menenima Ilario has enrolled in Stanford University to work towards his Ph.D. I mean, as I look back my life, you know, having all the comforts and all the luxuries here, you know, is really different. For instance, um, my, we didn't have a bed, you know, for instance, uh, our house is made of the palm leaves, you know, and uh, we don't have any walls at all, and our floor is really high, so we don't have like a bed as, a, as a we know it here, you know, we just use sleep on the floor. What was the floor made from? It's, uh, it's made of the, uh, the special, uh, what do we call it, tawas. It's like a really, it's not really hard, but kind of soft, you know, wood that we, you know, put in as our floor. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the activities that we do daily was mainly um, uh, like for instance, in very, very early in the morning, my grandfather used to, you know, wake me up like around five in the morning or so, and uh, it was time to go fishing, you know. So I used to, you know, get ready to go fishing with my grandfather. How old were you? I was like around, I remember clearly, like around seven. I was a little boy, you know, and mm -hmm. that was really a routine for me. So that my grandfather was teaching me to, you know, how to be a, a strong man, you know, and preparing me to be a strong man. So and I used to go with him. And um, it was, uh, I mean, I was just like really lazy like any other I mean, kid, you know. But I, I had to do it because that was a part of a uh, of, uh, skill that I had to have in order to survive in the jungle, you know. Mm -hmm. So, Is um, food um, readily available? Uh, the, as far as the food is concerned, um, we have to um, hunt or fish every day in, or, in, order, in order to live there. But there's enough to be able to find and eat? Uh, it used to be, but not right now because of the massive deforestation, a lot of um, uh, you know, uh, fishing companies going into our rivers and our lakes. You know, they're massively you know, fishing the, 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 I mean, the fish there. So for us, um, 
they used to be really easy to go fish, say, say, you know, catfish or, you know, piranha or different kind of fish, I mean, to live. But right now, I mean, in order to bring enough food for the family, you have to stay there like almost all day, you know, to catch like maybe 20 fish or so. And compared to that used to be like, you know, just used to go for a few hours to fish, to catch some fish, you know. So it's become really, I mean, scarce right now. How far from your village would you be able to go as a young boy? out into the jungle? Like when I was around, I remember 10 years old approximately, I was able to go by myself like uh, a day, one day canoe trip would be. So that, that was pretty much, you know, um, my, my limits. Did somebody teach you the um, uh, orientation or the secrets of the jungle so that you would Mm -hmm. Not get lost. Yeah, exactly. My grandfather, especially, was like the master. You know, in you know, if you get lost in the jungle, how to survive that? You know, different kind of. You know, if you find you know, poisonous snake or jaguars or tigers, how to you know? What did he tell you? For instance, um, if you get uh, attacked by boa constrictor, you know, for instance, um, you know, because the, how the boa attacks is, you know, they kind of wrap you around right. really quick, you know, so. As soon as you realize that, I mean, you are wrapped by a, by a blood contractor, you are supposed to bite the snake. You know, because he used to say that our teeth have some kind of poisonous, you know, stuff. So that immediately after you bite, I mean, bite several times to the boa, then it will unwrap you, you know. Because we, I mean, our teeth have some kind of poisonous, he used to say. You think that's true? Um, you'll be... I mean, it's hard to prove it since I was never attacked by boa. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> What kind of animals and little creatures that live in the jungle uh, did you see and, and either have as friends or capture to eat? Uh, one of the um, um, I mean, animals that we used to capture was um, the little wild pigs and the squirrels. You know, and, uh, but uh, when I was you know, around 10 years old you know, with all my you know, friends, we used to also make some competition, you know, whoever, you know, kills more squirrels were, you know, like the, the macho guy, you know, whoever, uh, you know, killed more poisonous snakes were, you know, um, uh, you know, the, the best hunter or something like that, you know. So as far as like uh, pets, you know, we didn't have too much pets. We had like in the village, um, there were like around, you know, four to five, I mean, um, and pets, animals, such as like little monkeys and wild pigs. Mm -hmm. You've told me that your name, Manenima, mm -hmm. means uh, one who travels. That's right. Yeah. How did you get that name? Yeah, um, see, what happened is, you know, um, before the missionaries came, we didn't have any kind of calendars or any kind of uh, uh, knowledge as far as the dates and as far as, um, you know, the year is concerned. So when a woman were pregnant, you know, uh, they didn't know what they were do, you know, so they could do anything, travel, you know, anywhere they wanted. So one day my parents were traveling, you know, from one village to another, and, uh, and suddenly my mom started having the pains, you know, and then she gave a birth in a canoe, and, uh, and that, I mean, little baby was me, you know, uh -huh. so, and, uh, so actually I was born in a canoe, and that's why my parents called me El Viajero in Spanish, but the Shipibo would be um, Manunima. Mm -hmm. Or man, uh, which means you know, man, uh, man, uh, man is traveling on a canoe or something like that. Yeah. And then you told me that your mother said you were always very curious as a child. Yeah. Um, my grandfather, or especially my mom, you know, a couple years ago when I was talking to my mom, you know, I asked her, um, you know, what was I like when I was growing up? 
you know, and uh, and she told me that I was really different, really different than other um, boys, you know, uh, in the in the village. You know, I was, for instance, um, and, um, and the missionaries have brought a lot of um, um, magazines to our village, and so I used to go grab those magazines. You know, when I used to go fishing by myself, I used to, you know. Um, you know, I get my uh, I mean, I mean, my fishing poles and grab my I mean, couple magazines. You know, when I was fishing, so what I used to do was that um, you know while I was fishing, I was looking at the magazines. You know, which was I believe was National Geographic. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's the um, how I found a picture of New York skyline around the tall buildings there. So that was like the turning point of my life. You know, how old were you? I was um, like 11 and a half, 12 years old, yeah. approximately. Yeah. What did you think when you saw these buildings and the people in, in New York? It was like, uh, uh, for instance, like if you have, I mean, your sunglasses, and it's kind of dark. I mean, your, I mean, your world is limited, you know, to what you see. But it was something like, a, uh, like I had awakened for a long trip. I mean, for a long dream, you know. Uh, so it was something like, a, like a, a awakening time for me. You know, because before that, uh, my life was just limited to fishing and uh, killing monkeys and squirrels and stuff. You know, so that was life for me. But when I saw this, you know, so I, I said, "Look, I, you know, there's a different world, you know, here, and um, and I would like to go there to um, get training, you know, to help my people." Did you have support or uh, enthusiasm from your mother and father when you told them you wanted to go? Uh, first of all, you know, because I'm the only boy in the family, you know, my mom was um, really sad, you know, because uh, as I was her only boy, you know, I was the, the, the guy who was going to provide the food for her, you know, yes. fishing, hunting and stuff. So uh, in those terms, my mom was really sad, you know, but I also told her that, you know, because my our people were um, suffering a lot of injustice from outsiders, you know, I told her that you know, I, I would like to go to this place so I can get the training to help my people you know, from this injustice. So, and, uh, and from that point of view, my mom was happy, you know, that. What kind of injustices did you see being mm -hmm. placed upon your people when you were 10 and 11? For instance, when I was, I was really, uh, I knew, you know, what was wrong, what was right. For instance, um, although I didn't, um, had a formal training in, into, into, as far as exploitation is concerned, but I had an idea what was that all about. For instance, my grandfather was working for this patron, you know, a Hispanic guy, and uh, he was, you know, um, um, working for him like for almost one month. In exchange of the work that he provided for this patron, he only got like one machete um, and like, a couple of, of clothing. How often? Um, just for one month, that was it, one machete and a couple of clothing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew that, that was some, there was something wrong with it. So, and I was really angry by that, you know, because I knew that, um, that somehow that was not, that was not, I mean, uh, um, fair, you know, for the people to I mean, treat us that way, you know. Also, and I, and we also felt that we were um, established Indians, you know, we were like second class citizens, you know, because that way how they treat us, that way how they, um, um, you know, they, how they dealt with us, so. I want to take a moment and say that I'm talking with Manenima Hilario in his home in Sonoma County, California, about his childhood as a member of the Shipibo tribe of Indians who lived near Pocalpa in Peru in the Amazon basin. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel.
Vanilima, when um, you were growing up, um, you've described to me now that when you were growing up, that uh, your tribe was like a Stone Age tribe. Mm -hmm. Tell me how its life was, if you would, uh, as a Stone Age tribe. The things that that um, we take it granted so much sitting here in your home, mm -hmm. we take for granted so much, that are just non-existent. I mean, uh, that's a interesting question because I mean, as I'm, as I'm living here in the United States, one of the industrial nations, you know, when I compare my life, you know, growing up in the jungle where we don't have any electricity, no running water, uh, I mean, no, um, you know, fast food restaurants, no anything at all, you know, where you're, if you're hungry, you know, you have to grab your fishing poles and go, you know, fishing or, you know, grab your bow and arrows and go hunting if you want to eat something, you know. But here, you know, if you're hungry, you just, you know, go to a fast food restaurant here, I mean, Duck Bells or, you know, hamburgers. So, and, uh, um, there's so much food here, you know, there's so much things, I mean, so many, many things here that the people just uh, yeah. don't take advantage of that. They just eat here, whereas yeah. there you had to go get it. Exactly. Yeah. Here, you know, for, you know, for a couple of bucks, you just get your hamburgers, you know, but there, in order to grab, say, you know, a dozen of fish, you have to be there almost a day, you know, and to provide for yourself and for your family, you know, so. With no electricity, uh, was there artificial lighting after dark? No, at all. Uh, we had, um, as far as you know, lighting, we had. Uh, we used to use the um, the grease of the manatees. You know, after we kill the manatees, you know, we would eat it, mm -hmm. and then we save the grease. That's a large fish. A exactly. Large, kind of looks like large. it's flying, but yeah. it's in the water. Exactly. So that's really big fish. You know, that could provide for the food for the whole uh, family for a month or so. So we used to use the grease as a uh, oil to have a little lamp. So that was like the one artificial light at night, you know. Did people generally go to sleep uh, at darkness and get up at uh, dawn? Exactly. Yeah, like we go to sleep there around eight or so, you know, because uh, like around six o'clock it's already really dark. So after you know after that you know you go to at night you go to see your. Um, the, the elder of the village, you know, to get advice and, you know, to get stories from that person. And after that, you just go to bed. Yeah. Without a calendar, and you, you were talking about how uh, your mother wasn't sure when you would be born, mm -hmm. except when she felt the pains of That's labor. Right. Um, without a calendar, was there any kind of reference to holidays or festivals that would occur on a with a certain frequency? You know, unlike other tribes or other indigenous groups, I mean, my tribe specifically, we don't have like a, a specific date where, um, where we celebrate, but we have celebrations. Um, for instance, when somebody is successfully hunting, you know, then that person has to cook the food uh, for the whole village. So, on, um, um, so those are primarily, you know, also we have a big ceremony is when a, a boy is uh, turning into a young man, and also when a girl is turning into a young woman. So we have some celebrations, you know, to to um, to recognize, you know, those the, people. The rights of puberty. Exactly. Yeah. Is there any particular training that young people receive prior to puberty? Yeah, like uh, for instance, um, usually, you know, the father or the dad or the grandfather. You know, or sometimes combine dad and grandfather, you know, uh, uh, take you like for a week or sometimes a month, you know, to go hunting, 
you know they they teach you how to i mean survive if you get lost in the jungle when you're hunting you know then basically uh while it does like the boot camp i would say you know here in those terms basically uh, your parents take you there i mean to this really really heavy jungle then you have to i mean you as a young man have to bring your parents back to home so that's mm -hmm. the task mm -hmm. yeah how about for the girls for the girls um they mainly have to be able to um, make potteries, you know, um, painting, uh, cloth, weaving, and, and cooking, and uh, different things, you know, to have skills that um, a tribe requires in order to be recognized as a young woman. Is there um, separation of the boys and girls during childhood in, in where they live or where they play? Actually, no. There's no separation at all as far as only um, in the time of doing the work is, you know, for instance, uh, the boys, you know, go to to um, to go fishing and hunting with their parents while the girls stay, you know, but as far as like playing time and stuff, you know, they just play together. How about in um, background education towards sex and reproduction? Here there's no sex education, you know, there. It just, uh, for instance, uh, when a guy is like around 16, you know, then that person's able to survive. Uh, and the girl is maybe probably the same I mean, age, then, you know, she's able to cook and everything. Then uh, what happens is um, there's a, a arranged marriage. So and if you have those qualities, you know, then you are a good candidate to get married. You know, otherwise, you know, you can mm -hmm. wait for a long time to get married. Yeah. Is there any opportunity for the young people to protest an arranged marriage? Or is you know, that not within the kin? Actually, what they can do is, you know, if they don't want to... Um, get married to a lady uh, for any reason, you know, then they can leave the, the village. They can leave the village for a year or two, then come back, you know, that's a sign of saying I don't want to marry her, or vice versa, you know, for a girl too. Does that carry any kind of a stigma? Um, no, I don't. it's something that um, the people accept, you know, it's like, it's not a big deal, okay? he just, you know, left the village and, you know, saying that he doesn't want to, you know, get married, yeah. Could you describe for us the um, geographical range of where the Shipiba people live um, mm -hmm. along the, the western edge of the Amazon basin? Mm -hmm. the, uh, my tribe is located along the Ukele River, river which is the main um, uh, one of the tributaries of the Amazon River. And uh, we have approximately uh, 300 villages, you know. And Pucallpa, you know, the Hispanic town is. Um, is the center, you know. Uh, we have the Alto Ucayali and the Bajo Ucayali, which is in the upper river and the down river. So all the villages are located along those, um, along the river, the Ucayali River. And each village or pueblito mm -hmm. is of how many people? Approximately, um, the smallest village would be like 100, 150 people, but the largest one is like around uh, 1,500. And there are like three villages, you know, I mean, which have the same, that, that kind of population. What's the reaction of your mother and father of you moving so far away? You know, they are really uh, saddened by it, you know, because they cannot uh, see me, you know, as, as often as they would like to, because, I mean, the Shipibu uh, villages are really united. You know, they provided, I mean, um, each other economically, I mean, in different areas so uh, for instance the whole village um, is village the whole village is made up of like five families you know so they're really close to each other so 
for me to leave my village, it's really sad for me and for my parents too, you know. So, um, uh, um, but they understand that I'm here uh, not just to get my own uh, benefits, you know, but I'm here to get a training, I mean, to help them survive in the 21st century. What are your plans? My plans is to graduate uh, from, um, from, from the Sonoma State University and to, as soon as I get my degree, you know, I want to um, start working. I'm r and right now I'm already working, but I want to work full time, you know, to help my people, um, to assist them um, you know, legally, environmentally, and soci um, socioeconomically, you know, to, so they can have a good foundation to, um, to survive the 21st century. Are you looking towards survival um, in the traditional ways, the ways you grew up as a mm -hmm. young boy, or bringing into it the uh, advent of electricity and paved roads and uh, cars? Mm -hmm. um, as far as surviving those ways, no. Because uh, I don't think that um, that would be a good thing to do in my village, you know. But when I'm, as I'm talking about surviving in the 21st century, I'm talking about giving the skills that the Indians need in order to survive. For instance, the skill of to read and write, you know, the skills to, um, to, to, to be a better farmers, you know, the skills to, to, um, to say, for instance, to, uh, to deal with village and to deforest, you know, to cut the wood there. So um, I'm giving some kind of limited technology, you know, to, um, to, to uh, be self-sufficient, you know, to live there. Okay. Tell me about the, the deforestation in um, your village. Is it nearby? Is it threatening? Yeah, uh, it would say it's really nearby and really threatening because, for instance, uh, two years ago when I was doing a project there in my village, um, and there were like a couple of tractors, you know, who were, uh, I mean, they were actually, you know, extracting the woods from our area. What happened was that um, was one logging company that went to talk to the elders in the, in the, in the village and they said, look, um, we'll give you $5,000, you know, and, uh, and let us cut the wood. So as the Indians, I mean, I mean, never had so much money, they were really excited about it, you know, so and they said, yeah, go ahead. So basically, um, I mean, the Indians got the money and uh, um, this company was, you know, extracting the wood from our land, from our territory, as much as they like, you know, so and, uh, um, I mean, when I was growing up there, I didn't see, I didn't even know what tractor was. But here it was in my village, you know, park and, and stuff now. Mm. Is there any um, assistance uh, for the Shipibo people from the Peruvian government? As, as far as assisting, um, educationally, yes, you know, because um, the Ministry of Education of Peru is supporting, you know, financially to, to the bilingual teachers, you know, who are trained by the missionaries there. So, and, uh, but as far as assisting other ways, no. Well, as I understand it, the um, state religion of Peru is uh, Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, but that wouldn't necessarily be the religion of the Shipibo people. No, at all. Uh, even though, I mean, uh, at one point in time, there was um, an attempt to, to try to, um, um, to convert the Indians to be Catholics, you know, but. Uh, but they had a, a strong resistance to that. You know, a lot of uh, uh, Roman Catholic missionaries were killed, you know, by the Bashipuinis and other tribes too. So, on a, so we, don't, we don't have a lot of um, Catholic churches in our tribe, you know. But uh, our um, tribe, don't I mean, my tribe doesn't necessarily have a religion, 
but um, um, but they because of the influence of the missionaries, you know, most of them believe in, in God. Mm -hmm. Is there a concept of God in the Shipibo? Yeah, there was an idea of God um, because of the Inca influence in our tribe. You know, we used to my grandfather used to say that. Um, that our creator was the God Son, you know, because the Son was always providing with the light, and, you know, providing um, us with some kind of uh, a provision, you know, for subsistence and different kind of things. Mm -hmm. Is there a concept of um, afterlife? In other words, when someone dies, where they might go? Yeah, there's a, um, a, a really a, a deep concept, which is that um, that we have to be a good people. Um, uh, that means that you have to s provide a good service to to your neighbor. I mean, to the whole I mean village, you know, um, because that means that if um, if you have that kind of life and when you die, then uh, you will not uh, be thirsty, because um, the concept about dying is that after you die, you know, you are so thirsty, you know, so and that you will suffer forever. You know, but if you're good people, then you are kind of um, 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 investing in your water after life. Yeah. Is, is there any kind of concept that uh, of soul uh, being reborn in another person? Um, we don't have that that uh, belief, but we believe that after you die, I mean, your soul or whatever you know you want to call it, it's um, they. That they uh, fly in the, I mean, in the in the spiritual world, traveling. Anenimai Ilario, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Mm -hmm. But before we close, I want to ask you the question I ask all of my guests mm -hmm. at the end of an interview, and that is, could you tell us of an interesting book that you've run across? You know, one of the most amazing books that I just finished reading is um, the the biography of General Colin Powell. Um, he's one of the um, most um, one, one of the smartest person that I ever you know seen in the TV or read his book you know and uh, I mean I mean I mean I mean um, something that I checked in his book was that his birthday is April 5th and according to missionaries I was born April 5th you know so it's something that we share in common so and um, but um, his book was has influenced me greatly, you know, to to get the energy, you know, from God and to and to be um, uh, to work hard. I mean, to accomplish things, you know, to sacrifice to accomplish things, you know. So that's uh, my goal, you know, to uh, accomplish things in my life in order to help my people. Manini Mai Ilario, thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you. Manenima Ilario was born Shapibo into a traditional Stone Age tribe that still lives in the jungles of eastern Peru. The book that he recommends is the biography of General Colin Powell. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org, 
The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.